Welcome to Don't Die Before You're Dead. I am your host, Mary McCartney, and this is where we talk about all things related to living the life you're meant to live. Now, today we're talking about a continuation of last episode's discussion with Neil Dunsmore. And if you're listening to this for the first time and haven't caught the, the previous episode, I suggest you listen to both, and I don't think it's going to matter much about what order, except you might miss some of the, the fun stuff that we talked about. Neil comes to us with all kinds of lessons of life, and uh, I'll repeat myself, a lot of them he learned in prison, and he has stories to tell of his life before the big event, the walk that took place where he raised a lot of money to help with mental health in his community. The walk was called Steps to Stop the Silence. So without further ado, I'm going to ask Neil if he's going to come back on board and share with us some of the mental struggles he had. Last call, we talked about uh, the physicality of walking 531 kilometers. But there were also moments during that walk where he had to meet his own challenges mentally and to wonder about how best to sort things out for himself as he spent a lot of time on his own. So Neil, thanks for doing this again. I think some of the stories that you had shared with me previously were very, very meaningful. And I think you took this walk to raise money for mental health. And not only did you put your own physical body on the line, but you faced those mental challenges as well. So uh, without much further ado, can you pick up where you're comfortable and let us know how you managed all those hours alone? Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks for having me back, Mary. It's always fun to chat with you. And, and I really, I really enjoy your, your personality in a way where you kind of pull the stories out of me. <laughs> Thank you. So the, the you know, as you said, and as people would have heard in the last episode, we talked about, I'm walking to raise awareness for mental health and suicide. Mm -hmm. And for me, I always viewed this as a physical challenge. And, and there was something I kept with me the whole time, you know, as a, as a local coach, I coach soccer and I coach local athletes in soccer and hockey since I moved to town, even before I had kids. And one of those kids that I coached reached out to me before I left. And he's, uh, I believe he's with the armed forces now. And, and he, he sent me a, a messenger message and he said, coach, just heard about what you're doing. It takes one mentally tough SOB to do something like that. Then again, seems like it's right in your wheelhouse. Go get them. And I thought, whoa, here's somebody who views me as mentally tough. I've never viewed myself as mentally tough. I've lived a life like everybody else. I've had ups and downs. I had a business that went bankrupt. And you overcome it. And so, you know, you take what life gives you and, and you push through it. That's, that's basically the way I was raised. And so I always viewed this in my head as a physical challenge. 531 kilometers. I just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, when I think about all the times I used to run and I used to play sports, I'm just walking. This shouldn't be difficult. Mm -hmm. And I have to admit that every now and then arrogance creeps into your mind when you're doing things and you're getting quite successful at it. And yeah. I was five days out. I left September 5th. There was a lot of emotion around it because a lot of people who struggle with their mental health came and shared their stories with me. So I was, I was kind of carrying that baggage with me and, and I was thinking about them, but they became an inspiration for me to keep well, going. I was doing this, yes. I was yeah. doing this for somebody else, not myself. Yeah. And I have to be honest yeah. around about the, the uh, fifth day. So it was September 10th. It was, uh, 
International Suicide Prevention Day. Mm. So if ever there was going to be a day out there where I would be thinking about people who were suicidal and, and people with mental health issues, it would be this day. Sure. And I had planned on doing a, a video, a Facebook Live on the walk to encourage people, you know, not today, not today. Mm-hmm. And I started that day strong. This is, this is the fifth day. I had come a long way. I was, I was actually... Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the small town. It, it was just before um, just before Newmarket. So I was actually walking the country roads and then coming down into the Holland Marsh. And for those people who aren't from this area, the Holland Marsh is flat land uh, just outside the GTA that is probably some of the best farmland in the country. Mm-hmm. And I'm walking through this, Mary, and, and, and I took my lunch on the front lawn of a uh, farm. And, and the farmer was selling sweet corn out front. They had a they had a booth, but they set up a bench to sit and watch the sun the sunset every night. Him and his wife, and and their names were on the chairs. And I thought, not nice of him to make that bench for me to have my lunch. <laughs> and and I sat down there. I had my lunch and everything. And I and I was I remember the thought coming into my head. Oh, you are so kicking this. This is so easy, man. This is a cakewalk. I can't wait to finish. And everybody's going to be proud of you. And I, you arrogant idiot. I got up from that. I felt great. And I started walking and I made the turn and I got down past the Holland Marsh. And now I had to walk in a new market and I was on highway nine. And that, you know, if you're not around here, highway nine is the first major highway that goes into new market. And it is a nightmare. It is crazy busy there in the Holland Marsh. There was a shoulder at least for tractors, for, for farm vehicles. So I had a six foot shoulder to walk on and that was great. But when I crossed the 400, the shoulder disappeared, and I literally had shoulder was the right word. I had the shoulder width. Oh my word! Between the grass and trucks going 120 kilometers an hour, zipping by my head. It was raining. It yeah. was pelting me. I had to take my ball cap off and put it in my backpack because every time a truck came by, it would blow it off. Okay. So now it became a chore. All that. Oh, you're nailing this. It was like God said to me, oh, you think this is easy, punk? Here, deal with this. And I tell you, walking in the new market, I was ready to quit. I, I remember thinking to myself, pick up the phone and call Graham. He's less than less than half an hour away. He'll be here in a half an hour. Finish this tomorrow when it's not raining. And I said, Neil, you can't. There's people counting on you. Just put your head down. So I literally put my head down. And that turned out to be a mistake because when I put my head down, Mary, I looked at my feet. And when I looked at my feet, you know, those weights that go on the tires of your car, when they balance the car, they balance the tire so it doesn't vibrate. Those are lead weights. They're all over the place. I realized those fall off of cars at 120 kilometers an hour. That means they become a bullet. Now I'm scared. And the rain is hitting me and I'm miserable and it's up hill for two kilometers and i'm just and i'm and i'm mad and i'm swearing at every truck that goes by why can't i'm I'm, don't worry about me i'm not here don't worry about the orange vest i'm getting angry yeah and i'm thinking and you're getting out of control like i think my mental health is just going into the toilet and i i I, at one point i think i started to cry i think what are you doing out here you're stupid you're gonna get killed and then the cell phone rang and I always had it in my ear and in my pocket. So I had a, a wireless uh, headset that it rang through. And I heard this voice. And, and he, he just said, how you doing, brother? 
and it was Roger Caesar, a good friend of mine, a Toastmaster. You may know Roger. Roger and I are good friends. And he made a habit when I was out there calling every day. Uh, he, and, he and several Toastmasters joined me at the start of the walk, which he didn't tell me they were coming. They just showed up. And that was really uplifting. And But he called and he talked. And he does what Roger does. He just talked. And I continued to walk. But having a tether to my life at home while I was out there meant the world to me. So just his presence there and his willing to talk to me, that lifted me up. And it got me through where I needed to go. I got, I got through to the end of the day, pushed me. Once I got into Newmarket, you know, no offense to the people of Newmarket. I hated Newmarket because of that walk. But once you got in on the sidewalks, you know, yeah. it, it was it was easier. It was safe. It was the trucks and the traffic that I, I wasn't prepared for. And so that's when I first started to struggle. And the next day was even worse because I came out of uh, I came out of um, Newmarket and I was heading to Uxbridge. And there was absolutely no shoulder, no sidewalk or anything. And now this was country roads. Davis Boulevard goes right through to Uxbridge and it's country roads. And again, people were buzzing by my head. And I'm sorry, I said the first day was September 10th. First day was September 9th. This was September 10th. And I stopped and I, guys, I couldn't find anywhere to sit down. Nowhere. And I needed to have lunch. And, and out of the blue, there was a driveway. And this guy had this big metal gate. And he had a little retaining wall built on his driveway. And I thought, I'm not going into the gate. I'm just going to the wall and sitting down. I'm having my lunch and I'm going to do a Facebook live and talk about suicide and talk about why I was out there. And I did that. And that was all really emotional. But as soon as I stopped, the guy showed up, he was coming home and he said, what are you doing? And he was really angry. And I said, well, I'm doing this walk for mental health and not, I don't leave any garbage behind. I picked everything up. I just needed to rest my feet and, and do a video about suicide. He was the nastiest individual oh, really? I had come across. It. The only really oh. negative thing, he was he was like, I'll call the cops. You get off my property. And, yeah. and you know, don't escalate the conflict. That's what I teach people. And I, I looked at him and I said, I meant no offense. Yeah. I apologize. I just I took a quick look around, make sure I didn't, you know, off of my protein bar. I didn't leave a piece of wrapper around or anything. I made sure everything was cleaned up and I wished him and I was so polite to him. Butter wouldn't have melted in my mouth, but he left an effect on me. I was like, you miserable. And my mood changed. And I just, uh, my head was down again, Mary. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, really? I'm out here trying to do something good. And you're, you're going to be an SOB about your, your driveway. And so I kept walking and that, that became a long day. It was uphill and downhill and up. And it was one of those days where I could see the end. Cause you, it was straight. I could see the end <laughs> and it, you get in your head. Like, when is it going to get here? When is it going to get here? forever away? <laughs> and I decided that it's time to, you know, my knees, I hadn't had any real pain until that day. And the pain was starting to come in and the feet were starting to ache. And I think, and this is what it's going to be like from here on end. And, and when I was listening to the tape, the other day, I could hear myself crying and, wow. and I could hear myself getting emotional. And I thought, you know, dig in, you're, you're tougher than this, dig in. So I'm trying to do the self-positive talk. And then- You are a very, you are, you are an upbeat, oh, I tried positive it. person. And I'm yeah. thinking about how 
how oppressive that situation was and how miserable um, somebody can make your life. I mean, having got to that place to sit down after what you've been going through, it wouldn't have taken much for an individual to have been pleasant about it. Right. Um, so it's a reminder for us that, you know, we don't know what other people are facing. That's right. And that's what I had to tell myself. And I hear it on the tape, you know, cause yeah. I call them, I call them nasty names on the tape. Okay. And then I hear the self-talk coming back and say, you don't know what he's going through. Hey, listen, he could have been at work that day. It was COVID. He could have been told your job is finished. Yeah. He could have lost everything. And he comes home and some, some fat guy from Fergus is sitting on his fence, right? Like, get out of here. So yeah, it could be two ways. I mean, he needed to look yeah. at your situation. So I guess what I was looking at is saying, if that can affect someone like you who is positive and upbeat and everything else, how do those kind of situations and those comments and nasty people yeah. impact someone who is struggling? He's struggling. I think about a speaker I listened to one time, Muhammad Katani, who's one of the Toastmasters world champions. And his speech was about words matter. Oh, yeah. Words have power. They can lift you up or they can put you down. And Mm -hmm. everybody has the opportunity in somebody's life. You can either lift them up or you can push them down. And Mm -hmm. I choose as often as possible to lift them up. And that was that whole concept was driven home when I about five minutes uh, before or after I decided that I'm going to call Graham. I'm done. I'll add this. I'll add this on. I'm going to call. I actually had the phone in my hand and a white car passed me and it went up to the top of the next hill in front of me and it stopped. And I remember watching this guy and I'm thinking it was garbage day and all the blue bins and the green bins were at the edge of the drive. And I said, this guy stopped and he's just going to, his trunk popped open. I said, he's just going to gather his garbage bins and drive down his driveway. But he walked by the bins and he pulled out his jacket out of the, the trunk of the car and he put it on. He started walking towards me on the other side of the road. And I'm thinking, and it's on the tape. <laughs> Am I delusional or is that Ross Mackay? Oh, really? Ross Mackay is a Toastmaster who lives in the new market area. And I'm thinking, can't be, you know, your head's starting to play games here. Yeah. And, and I, was, I was starting to dial it when he got closer and I said, Oh, good God, that is Ross Mackay. And he crossed the street and he goes, it is that big Scottish brogue of his. He goes, how are you doing, laddie? And I said, Ross, he says, I couldn't see you come through my tune and not come out and say hello. Oh, yes. You're an inspiration. Yeah, now, people on your call won't know Ross. Oh. I got to tell you, Ross is a little closer to the ladder of heaven than I am. He's, he's, he's got, he's got about 20 years on me. He's a wonderful man. He's a friendly man. He came out that day, Mary, to find me. That was the whole purpose of his driving around was to find me. He looked online and he saw my route and he says, I know where that is. And he came out and he parked and all he did for me was walk up to the top of the hill. His wife, Margaret was in the car and, and um, Margaret doesn't like him to be out of it, out of his sight out of her sight. So he said, I can only walk so far, but he walked up the hill and we walked and talked and he talked to me positively. He talked to me about the inspiration and the ripple that my walk was creating Uh in his life, in my community's life and in, and in his Toastmasters club. And they all wanted to come out and help out Neil. But I said, yeah, I get it. People are busy. I'm here in the middle of the week and I'm walking, but it's just having somebody come and say, we're watching, we're inspired by you. That was the complete opposite of the last guy. Absolutely. Those words and just lifted when you me. Needed it. And Mary, I got to the top of that hill, 
and Ross and I took a selfie and he got back in the car. I waved to Margaret and he left me and boy, oh boy, what spirits were lifted in me from the kindness of, of a friend. And, and I started walking again and there was, there was no hesitation in my step. I got to the end of that day and, and it just lifted me right up. So that's the power that we all have in each other's life. The power of one was an award that was given to me by the Canadian Mental Health Association. They named the award after me, the Here for Hope Neil Dunsmore Power of One Award. And that's why I, thank you. I share stories like that because I'm one guy, but how many individuals helped me through those moments? And, and there were some really, really intense moments in, the, in this walk. That was just the start of it. That was just the start of it. And, and I was going through those stories, and I've developed speeches around the stories of the people who came to my aid. But there were so many. My father says I'm a collector of friends, and he's right. And those friends on this walk came to my aid. I wouldn't have got through this if it wasn't for the text messages, the phone calls, and and in times people showing up, like like Ross showed up, and or Roger many, and, and Roger calling, and my friend Andy Goldie, the CAO of the Township of Center Wellington, uh, who we work together now, but he would call every day to bring me up to speed on issues, but most of all to check on me and see how I was doing, and those calls were lifelines. Those calls were tethers to my life back here that let me know there's people watching Neil, you can't let them down. I think also, though, Neil, when when people hear this, I mean, what you're doing is is out there and it's it's not what everybody's doing. But I think when when somebody's when the thought of somebody crosses your mind. To to act on that and say, you know, for some reason or other, that thought has popped in your head thinking of you today. Who knows what the reason might be? Now, your friends that did seek you out and did contact you knew what you were doing. But I I think perhaps there are times when we could reach out to people right now. If If you think of them, even for a split second, that may be the very moment to reach out and say they might be beating themselves up and and run, you know, going through a torrential rainfall, you know, mentally and emotionally. Um, So those people that backed you, I mean, you're talking now, but they were your lifeline. Yep. And now, especially during these COVID times and things, how many people are walking their own journey and need that lifeline too. So it's a good lesson for all of us, Neil. I mean, you, you have a very practical experience here, but I think the lessons outweigh the actual event in some way. Yeah. And, and that's the message I try to deliver as often as I can. You know, they named them the award power of one. And I said, that's really appropriate because we all have that power within us. We can all lift somebody up or put somebody down. That's massive power that affects somebody's day. Choose the choose to lift them up and not and not put them down. But you said something interesting there, Mary, that that somebody pops into your mind. Okay. I was physically separated from my life, from my family, from my world, even from my son who was out there driving around taking care of me for eight to 10 hours a day. I was physically separated from everything. Roger called, Andy called, uh, Ross came out, uh, other friend of mine, Jane came out the next day. They felt something. And whether you're spiritual, whether you're religious, whether you believe in the power of the universe, you believe in God. Mm -hmm. When you get that feeling, 
That's a hand on your back pushing you. Don't let that feeling pass. When it starts to cross your mind, stop it in the middle and pick up the phone because you never know. Roger thought in the middle of his day when he was free for, for half an hour, he thought, I wonder where Neil is. And he picked up the phone because he thought, I wonder where Neil is. And he picked up the phone and he called me and that helped me through. And, and Andy did it every day too. He made it part of his day at some point. And because he's a busy man, he didn't know what day, what time of day it would be. But it, for me, it always seemed to be at the most appropriate time. So I know something was putting something in their head to say, hey, Bing, call Neil. And yeah. they would do it. Even my wife, who's very, very busy, and we touch base at the end of every day, some days in the middle of the day, she texts me and she say, are you okay? And I know that she's wondering, is something going wrong? And hey, here I am struggling. And I, I'm all right, honey, I'll, I'll get through this. you know. And then if she, she sensed that I wasn't, she would call. And, and that's, that's the power of the connection we all have with each other. And we need to use that better because we see what goes on in the world today when we don't use it properly. And it pushes people down. Yeah. And it, 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 it's not good. And so you have two choices and I always choose the one that lifts people up and you all have that power. Every single person listening to this podcast today has that power. So if something crosses your mind, pick up that phone and, and uh, reach out to them. I ref, I refer to it as a reflection in somebody's ripple because they told oh, me that my walk, they told me my walk, uh, Cecilia Marie Roberts, who is an angel sent to my community, working with the Canadian mental health association. She called me when she heard about the walk. And she said, Neil, your walk is going to create a ripple in your community. Your life is going to create a ripple in this community that is going to cause people to action. The ripple will eventually become a wave and it'll make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I've never forgotten that term. But as, I, as I'm writing the book, I'm going to call it Reflections in the Ripple because it's the people that affected me, the people that reflected into my ripple that I remember that helped me. And, and so that's what I'm writing the book about, not about you know, me and what I did. Oh, look at me. I was great. I walked 531 miles. No, we did it. There were people that reflected at the most opportune time at times where I thought I wasn't going to make it. The phone would ring. It would vibrate. Somebody would text me and they would get me over to Rotarian friend of mine, Don Valerie. The one day that I thought this is coming to an end, it was in Tweed. And I remember I said that the other, at the last uh, podcast, I was training to push the pain out and the further the pain. So for the first five days, I was taken aback because there was no pain. It never came. I thought, oh, you are through this. This is great. And then, of course, it started to come back. And it was at about Tweed where it just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I was... I was ready to pack the whole walk in. The pain was incredible. I kept in my backpack an emergency stash of medication. And the, the whole concept there was get yourself to a road so Graham can come. Yeah. And so that's where I was at. And I stopped and I sat down and I took uh, a couple of, uh, I took one Tylenol with codeine and, and three extra strength Tylenol. Just to numb the shooting pain with every step was was rippling, just was rippling. Yeah, that was my bad knee. The new the new knee. So if anybody's thinking about a knee replacement, go for it. That knee never gave me a problem. The one that needs to be replaced was was killing me. And I I just got to the point where this is it. This is over. Um, boy, I've done well. I've crossed 
halfway point, which is Peterborough, nobody's going to, nobody's going to look at me and say, Hey, you bailed out. And, and, and so my whole mind started that this is, this is it. This is uh, it's over. And, and uh, again, I was reaching for the phone, but this time it wasn't to say, Hey, come get me. And I'll add a day on this was pack up that damn trailer. I'm going home to your mom. And my phone rang again. And it was a friend of mine, uh, Don Valerie, who's a local business person here in town. And Don's a Rotarian in my club. And he just had a feeling in the middle of his day. He just, he just picked up the phone. He said, Hey, Neil, how you doing, buddy? You know, you know, Mariette and I, we were, we were, we were talking about you. And I said, Hey, why don't we call him and see how he's doing? And he heard it in my voice. He said, are you struggling? And I said, I can't walk. This is killing me, Don. I can't walk. I, I, I've had, it's been okay, but I can't walk. And he says, are you wearing a brace? And I said, yeah. And the worst part is I got a brand new one, the same one I had before. I found another one and I love that brace and it's on now. And he, he said, can you do me a favor and just stop? And I said, stop what? He said, stop walking and look down at the brace. And I looked down at the brace and I've been, the brace had been on for six hours. It had been I had a brace on for, for, this was about 13, 14 days. Like, what am I looking at, Don? And, and, and he said, Don has two knee replacements and he suffered for decades before getting them replaced. He used braces for decades. That's right. And he said to me, I want you to put your finger in the middle of your kneecap. And I want you to, to, to then take something you've got in your backpack, something straight. And so I ended up using my walking stick. And he said, does that come to exactly where the hinge is? And, and I looked at it and I said, no, the hinges, the hinges are probably only about a quarter of an inch below it. So it's pretty close. He goes, no, it's not close. So I took the brace off and I adjusted it. And it didn't make the pain go away, but he said it will eventually. He said, what you're doing is you're fighting your brace. Oh. Your brace isn't the hinge. The, the, the pivot point isn't in the right place. And if oh. the pivot point isn't in the right place, it's doing more harm than good. You're actually probably better off taking it off altogether today. Wow. And then reset it properly tomorrow. And so that's what I ended up doing. And, you know, he stayed on the phone with me and we talked. He says, does it feel any better? I said, well, the sharpness of the pain is starting to ease, but that could be the drugs too, right? Because I, I took them. And, yeah. And so we started walking and he just talked and, and we walked. And then all of a sudden there was a bench at the end of the trail. That was the road I was supposed to get to. And, and it, was, it was an hour, an hour and a half on the phone. You know, and I thought, wow, he just felt like reaching out and talking, but he saved the walk that day because he reached out, he felt something. And he said, I'm going to talk to that kid that's out there because he's a few years older than me, too. But, you know, just having somebody who's gone through the experience of that kind of pain with their knee and say, listen, it's not over. There's something going on. It's changed. There's something going on. It's not just the 200 kilometers you've walked or something else there. And he, he talked me through it. And there I was. It reminds me of the expression where it says, you may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. Uh So all these people were not individually doing everything for you, but collectively doing something all the time at those appropriate moments. Now, I do believe that we're called upon in our intuition to help people and to to be awake to be conscious oh. and if we're listening i mean i don't know about you neil but there have been many times where that little small voice has said for me to do something and i've ignored it only yeah. to kick off later yeah. and you know sometimes that's just about me 
But when it's yep. about somebody else, I mean, I think you're sharing with us just how critical that can be to somebody's mental well-being. Where yep. do you think you might have, where do you, how do you think things might have rolled out if those people hadn't been reaching out to you? Oh, I think there would have been numerous times that I would have, I would have uh, probably stopped at least for the day. I can't guarantee that that day had Don not called me that I wouldn't have gone back to the trailer, iced the knee. You know, at the end of every day, I iced, I soaked my feet in Epsom salts because the blisters were, oh, the blisters oh. were incredible. Um, and so I had that whole maintenance program. And I was always, I always said to my son every night, because he'd look at me and he'd go, Dad, you know, when your son's looking at you and his eyes tear up because he can see the pain that you're in, I couldn't walk. I literally couldn't walk by the end of the day. Because you get in the car and you drive half hour, 45 minutes back to where the trailer was. And that half hour, 45 minutes, everything seized up. And and he would look at me and, and say, I don't know, Dad. And, and and then he was always amazed that the next morning I'd be waking him up going, come on, buddy, you got to get me to the trail. You know, I'd had a coffee. I had my, my fiber cereal. I had my bagel. My backpack was packed. Let's go. And he says, ready to go. Yeah. What's wrong with you? You're so damn cheery in them. What's the matter with you? <laughs> and he'd see me at night and he'd go, that's it. You're just, you're just yeah. finished. Yeah. And, and for some reason I'd recuperate. And I, I, you know, part of me maybe thought that day, but I, the real hard part of that day was if I'd have stopped where I stopped, my son was going to have to break the law and go around a barrier and drive that truck down that trail mm. because there was no way if I stopped, I was going any further. But Don talked long enough for the medication to keep kick in, and, and he, he helped me address the brace. I actually took it off in the end and, and just walked. And, and we were still talking on the phone when I was sitting on the bench, and my son pulled up. And I said, Don, my, my vehicle's here to get it, and I can't thank you enough. And, and his words to me always echo. He said, I am so freaking proud of what you're doing. It's an honor to know you. And I'm like, here's one of the most successful business people in the community. And he's saying that to me. Again, his words lifted me up. It perked my spirits up and it helped me move forward. And the next day I started from that spot. And the first thing I did when my son let me off, I looked back at that bench and I remembered that conversation. And the next day I kicked its ass. I went the whole day without any problems. And, uh, and, then, of course, you know, each day became a battle. But then other things, you know, other people reached out and then other things got in the way. And, and then you focus on that and, and it would help. So you have to tell the story because I mentioned it in the last episode. Yeah. You have to tell the story about the bear. Well, there were bears all through this. And, right. and it's amazing. People don't know there's bears in their community. Pretty much when you hit Peterborough, uh, the bears start to come up. And I was seeing bear scat everywhere. And... I started to get worried. So Shauna, my wife was coming on a weekend to, um, to stay with Graham and I in the trailer. And we were camped at a friend's house. He's got a big property in the country and he allowed us to put the trailer up there. And he actually blocked off the back of his house. So a big shout out to Sean and Judith Wilson for in the middle of this saying, save the money on the campgrounds ah. uh, because we couldn't shower in the campgrounds anyway, because the showers were off. So listen, my son and I have had enough sponge baths in a trailer that there isn't any therapy in the world that's going to fix that kid now. You know, it's, I don't never want another sponge bath. But when I got to Sean and Judas, they gave me the, the back of the house where they had an extra shower, extra bathroom, and Graham and I would use that. So Sean had joined us for a weekend, and, and Sean and Judith are – Sean was my roommate in university, and I hadn't seen him in 22 years. And I texted him one day, and I said, buddy, this is what I'm doing. And he said, well, you're not staying anywhere but my farm. 
So you get out here. And that's that's friendship, right? There's somebody else up, uprooting his life in COVID to help me through this. And anyway, I said to Shauna, go see Peter, who was walking the Bruce Trail and took bear spray with him. He was done now. Ask him for his bear spray. And then I texted Peter and say, you know, send the bear spray to Shauna. I need this. I'm seeing scat. And it's only a matter of time before one of them comes face to face with me. There's blueberry bushes all over the place and raspberry bushes. And these things are going to come for me. All the come hither. Yeah. So bears were on my head, you know, in my, in my mind, when you see the scat. And so this was one day I was, again, they always seem to happen in the middle of nowhere because when there's nobody around, I mean, bears don't like traffic and, and stuff like that. But, um, I had, I guess I should preface this, Mary. I lost my glasses. Uh, I was oh, no. in the trailer. I put the glasses down somewhere and, and they, they fell under something, but we couldn't find them. And so I'd been walking for three days without my glasses. I don't only need my glasses to see long distances. I wasn't driving, so I was fine. I can see about a hundred and so feet, but after that, it's blurry, right? So I'm coming down this trail that day. I'd seen bear scat that day. And I look up the trail ahead of me and it's, it's, it's a fair ways ahead and I can't see it for sure. I see the, the outline and it's at the side of the, the side of the trail and, and it's right by the bush and it's almost hiding behind the bush. So I'm thinking that's gotta be blueberry bushes and this thing is eating and trying to fatten up for winter. And I just, <laughs> not, the last road was 10 kilometers behind me and the next road is 10 kilometers in front of me. And the problem with that is 10 K is a two hour walk. Right. And, 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 and not a two hour walk, but it's yeah, pretty close. I don't want to go back and then go along the road and come around. Yeah. So I waited and I, I stood there and the bear wasn't, you know, I figured it'll finish eating and it'll go. Right. It didn't go. And I can't wait forever. And I got to get around it. And then I'm remembering everything I was taught in, in outdoor ed about bears. And this is clearly a black bear. It's not a grizzly. We don't have grizzlies down here. So I don't have to worry about this thing being a meat eater and coming at me. It's a berry eater and it doesn't like people unless people around it are feeding it. So that was in my head. So I did what they told me to do, right? Make yourself look big, make noise, and the bear will go. Doesn't like human beings. So I want you to picture this. I'm out there. I've got my backpack on and my, I have a reflective uh, hunter's vest on so I don't get shot by accident. Uh-huh. So I've got my walking stick. So I take my walking sticks off. I put the, the hunter's vest on top of the walking sticks and I put them in the back of my backpack. I tuck them in there. So now my walking sticks, which were about four and a half, five feet are now up over my head with an orange flaggy reflective vest on it to make me look big. And I put my arms out to the side and I start walking like a clown hobbling back and forth. And I'm going, look at me, bear, look at me, bear. I'm huge bear. Get out of here. You should be afraid of me. And I'm slapping my hands and I'm I would look, making, I would give anything to see that making all kinds of noise. I'm looking like an absolute idiot. And this bear could care less. Oh, it's not moving at all. Barry. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what do you got me into now? <laughs> now, I have the bear spray. Peter brought it, and it's a big can of bears. It's a big, it's, there's a two liters of bear spray here. So I thought, okay, I got the bear spray. And I had a hunting knife because uh, I have been a corrections officer in the past, and I have seen uh, inmates uh, maced with pepper spray, and it's had no effect on them. Every human being is different. And I could only assume that every bear is different. 
And maybe it would affect the bear and maybe it wouldn't affect the bear. So I wasn't taking a chance. So I took the hunting knife out of its sheath. So in my left hand, I have what is about a, a 14 inch hunting knife. And in my right hand, I have the bear spray. And above my head, I have uh, an orange <laughs> vest and, and I'm going down and I, now I'm begging with it. I make a noise, but I go, please, bear, don't make me kill you. I don't want to kill anybody today, bear. Just get out of my stinking way. And now I'm getting louder. And I'm, ah, bear, ah. And it's not moving. And now when I get close enough where I've made the decision that I'm going around you, bear, and if you don't move, I'm not going to hurt you. But if you rush me, I'm going to spray you. <clears throat> Excuse me, if I have to stab you, I'll stab you. You know, I, I made the decision in my head. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, I need to take some water. <clears throat> so as I get closer and I realize it's not a bear at all. Oh, no. It's a woman. Oh, it's yeah. On the side of the trail. <clears throat> and that's pretty fun. I'm thinking, oh, my. <laughs> she must be thinking, what kind of clown is coming here? So uh -huh. I take down the sticks. I reholster the, I, I, I put the safety back on the bear spray and I tuck it back in my, my holster. I resheathe the knife and I, I put everything back down. I take it down. And, and now I'm, now I'm talking to a woman and I'm saying, so I must look like a flipping idiot to you, huh? You know, like you must think, what the heck is this clown doing? And she's, she's not answering me, Mary. She's not answering me at all. And I get, closer and closer to her. And I realized that she's not, she's not happy. She's in trouble and she's not afraid of this clown coming down there. Well, she not, she was afraid, but I don't think she was afraid of me. I could see, I, I learned to recognize fear okay. in the prison system when I, when I worked there mm -hmm. <laughs> and there was, she was absolutely terrified. And I realized something's going on here outside the ordinary. And so I went right across the trail on the opposite side from her because I didn't want to appear threatening at all. I walked a lot slower and I continued to talk to her as I walked. And I said, listen, you need to know I'm not a, I'm not a threat. You know, my name is, is Neil Dunsmore and I'm walking to Ottawa to raise awareness for suicide and mental health. That's why I'm here. You want to tell me why you're here? And at first she didn't, she, she didn't communicate at all, but she kept looking past me, Mary. She kept looking past me. And, and I said, I don't know what you're looking for down there, but I do know you're afraid. I can see that on your face. So whatever's back there, let me, let me tell you what's going to happen from here. Cause you've scared me enough. I'm going to call the police and, and they're going to come and, and get you. And I'm going to stay with you because whatever it is that's back there isn't going to get you today. Not while I'm here. I got bear spray. I got a knife and I spent 10 years working in a maximum security detention center. So I have, I'm, I'm not as young as I used to be, but I, I got more weapons now than they ever gave me in the jail. They never, they, you know, you had to, you had to sign 10 forms to take mace out of the closet back then. Now I got it right here on my belt. Uh, I'm not letting anybody hurt you, dear. I'm not, not going to happen. So what do you say we call the police and they come get you? And she communicated for the first time and she begged me not to do that. And uh, we had a bit of a conversation and she'd done it before and it didn't work out well. And 
so she was tired and she was exhausted. She'd been out there for hours and she didn't even know where she was. She, she had run and, and gotten, um, they lived in the area, but she'd gotten to a trail and, and she had run. And so I gave her, I gave her my lunch and, and I gave her uh, water. And uh, I said, why don't we walk towards the trail? And if you don't, if you don't want me to call the police, I won't call the police, but we need to talk about what we're going to do here, what you're doing. Now, I should tell your listeners, I had the absolute honor of working with a young woman um, in the Toastmaster speech contest. And her speech was about surviving spousal abuse and, and, and getting away. And the hours that I spent uh, with Lisa and, and the stories that she, she shared with me, you know, we talked about tethers mary we talked about people calling at the right moment uh, lisa didn't call but she was in my ear i could hear those stories and i could hear the feelings and everything she went through and 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 the times where you decide to go away but the voice comes back to you so you go back because you're worthless because that's what they trained you to think and 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 how you have to help yourself and 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 it's a tender moment you can push mm-hmm. people too far or too fast uh, if you don't support them enough, then they go back. And and so, you know, I, I sent Lisa an email when this walk was over and I thanked her for sharing her story with me and allowing me to work with her because I believe wholeheartedly that that relationship that her and I had helped me in that moment to handle what this woman was trying to do and to be mm-hmm. as supportive as I could without being overbearing. The last thing she needed was a man to come into her life and say, come on, we're going to do this. And this mm-hmm. is the way it's going to be because that would have just set her off. Yeah. So we walked and we talked and, and uh, you know, I said, if, if you really want, what, what do you need me to do? Do you need me to call somebody? We can call a women's shelter. And, and, and that's what we did. We called the women's crisis line and they sent a team to come get her. Oh, and that's who picked her up at the next road. And I told them we're about three hours from that next road because she's not walking as fast as I do. And uh, I'm not leaving her alone. And if he's, he's out here, God help both of us. And, and so then I had to make, remember, I, I made that decision that if the bear charged me, I was going to spray it and stab it. And I yeah. made that decision. If he comes looking for her and I'm out here, I'm going to spray him. And if that doesn't take him down, I'll do whatever it takes. Right. And, and, and that's a frightening experience. The decision ahead of time and not to be wondering what to do when it happened was probably the best thing. And again, yeah. your prison training probably allowed for all of that because you would have to be sharp and ready to decide yeah. very quickly. But again, getting back to, the circumstances, just being in the right place at the right time. Well, I began, I began to say that, you know, like when, when uh, your friends call, when you're struggling and when somebody else is out there in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of COVID and, and, and let's be honest here, COVID exasperated her situation. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. Because they're home more. She's yeah. not going to work. He, he could have been home. We didn't talk about, was he out? Was it, we did. I didn't want to get into that. What I was into was she made a decision to go. And she was there. And all I was focused on was how do I take, get you, ironically enough, to take the next step? How do I get you to, to continue down the path you've gone? How can I facilitate that? How can I help that? And getting a hold of a women's crisis shelter and getting them out to pick us up. But I tell you, Mary, we got to the road where they were going to pick us up. That's when I got scared. Because we'd been on a trail. And I could hear things and see things. If they were coming down, if he was coming down the trail in an ATV, I'd, I'd have known it. My plan was I walked behind her, not beside her, 
so that if he saw me, he wouldn't see her in front of me right away. And, and she could get into the bush a bit. And I could continue to walk. Uh-huh. And my plan was if, if he said, you know, have you seen this woman? And I would say, oh, yeah, I did. Well, where? Oh, Jesus, that'd be 15 kilometers back that way and have yeah. him turn around, right? Yeah. And go. Wasn't going to challenge him, was, you know, was going to be friendly and everything. That was, that was my plan, divert and get him out of here. But I'd have to walk in such a way she could get in. But at the end of the trail where the road met, that was vulnerability that I hadn't counted on because there's oh. a road coming in both directions and a trail coming in both directions. And her and I sitting there. Exposure. So she went in. I said, what? I want you to sit in the, we went into the woods a bit and I, I had a stool, a collapsible stool. And I, I put it up and I had her there and I said, just stay there until they come. And I sat at the side of the road and uh, I ate what food I had left, an apple, some uh, nuts and a, and a protein bar. And uh, I sat there like I was a guy walking, having my lunch. And, and, and they had said to us on the phone, I said, you know, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. So when you see somebody at that trail, you ask this question, because if you don't ask this question, it's not you. And I'm not, I'm just going to make conversation to be a friendly guy. Yeah. And, and so this, this vehicle came down it was a van and the window came down and this woman says, what in the hell are you doing out in the middle of nowhere? And I said, well, I'm walking to Ottawa to raise awareness for suicide and mental health in my community. And she said, hello, Mr. Dunsmore. And I said, thank you. And Perfect. we put her in the van. We hugged and, and I gave them my business card and I said, uh, I don't want to be a part of her life. I don't have a desire to be a part of her life. I just need to know at the end of the day that you guys are safe. That's it. That's, you know, and it took about two weeks, Mary, but I got a text message from a block number that said, uh, Mr. Dunsmore, everybody's fine. And oh, that's all I needed. But that was, that's my bear story. It wasn't a bear. Um, but I can only imagine because I've heard that story. I've heard stories similar to that repeated when I talk to people about people, uh, coming across people outside and trails that are, they're terrified. Uh, and, and there's, there's, you know, spousal abuse in this country is another issue. And, and there are people that are right now locked down with their abusers. Exactly. And that's and gotta be worse. That's got, yeah, it's worse because stress is the, the more stress that comes into it, the more escalated that situation gets. Exactly. So, so I can only imagine Neil as you know, it's like, I could talk to you all day. Um, it, it's just incredible. And I'm just thinking of the monies raised that will put those resources into effect for the people who need them, because we are, we are in need. We are in crisis that there is no across the province to serve. Exactly. And what you've done in order to, you know, release some of those funds. So as we sign to wrap this up, unfortunately, I'm sure there, there, there's all so much. We could do a third episode easily. easily. I haven't even told you the funny stories, but that's okay. <laughs> well, you told the ones. Now, I again, you're in the right place at the right time. I think yeah. I you told the things that need to be said for somebody somewhere. You've said something yeah. that's impacting those who need to hear it. I believe you and that. I. You and I had a conversation uh, off offline about Facebook and that. So if, if you've oh, yes. got the time, I wouldn't mind telling one more story sure. about the power of Facebook yep. and, and how to use it properly. And, and, the, if, and you've the, got, if you've got the time, Neil. I've I got the time. Mary, I always have time for you. Oh, you're so, so sweet. 
Yeah, this, do tell the story because people need to know how that can be used and effective. Yeah. And as you're telling that story, um, like people to keep in mind that, you know, donations are still necessary, a part of raising yeah. the money that is ongoing. Yeah. So yeah, tell you, tell, go ahead. Yeah. So it, it was one morning where we, we were staying at my friend's house and, and uh, we were trying to get as much out of it as we could before we got to the Ottawa area and had to actually um, get into other campgrounds and hotels. So it was about an hour's drive, an hour and a half's drive to the trailhead that day. And then I would do my, my 10 hours and then my son would come back and get me again. So we had some time. We were driving along and we, just my son and I chit-chatting and my cell phone rang. And, and I looked down and it was a messenger call. And I, you know, I thought, okay, people are reaching out. I'm going to take the call, I guess, right? And, and I took it. It was the name that frightened me because it was, it was a, a relative that I didn't know. Uh, and, and anyway, when, they, when the gentleman came on the phone, uh, he's about 30 years younger than I am, and, and he's a distant relative. And he was in Scotland. Oh, my. And, and they'd been watching the walk on Facebook, all the videos that I had put up on Facebook. So there's the power of Facebook, right? It, it, it connected me to family that were around the world that I hadn't seen in so long. I, him and I had actually never met, but it didn't take long. Graham recognized it and I recognized it. Uh, he was in a bad place. He was really in a bad place mentally. And he was very melancholy and, and he was, he was, saying things that's, that started to get the hairs in the back of my head and that old crisis negotiator started to come to the front and my son's looking is he crying and I said yeah he's crying and then I finally just asked the question and this is the question this is this is what everybody's afraid of I asked him point blank are you planning on suicide today are you planning to take your life and he said there's no other solution yes I am and my heart froze. Graham almost went off the road. I had to put my hand on his shoulder and tell him, just keep driving, son. Just keep driving. And I talked to him and, you know, I said, listen, that's a very, very permanent solution to a temporary situation. And he talked about what lockdown was doing to him and that his wife and his kids had left because they were fighting all the time. And, and we talked we talked through some of that. And, and then I, you know, he said, you know, my one of my regrets is that you seem like a nice guy and you're a relative and I've never met you. And so I said to him, I'll, I'll make you promise. When this is over, I'll pack up my wife and kids and we'll go to Scotland and we'll meet you. Okay. We'll get to know each other and, and we'll tour Scotland. We've always wanted to go to Scotland. It's not a big deal for me, but listen, I'm not going to go through all that and all that expense if you're not going to be there. Right. So you have to promise me you're going to call and get help. As soon as we're off this call, do you understand? You need to be there when I get there. And he agreed to that. And then he hung up. And oddly enough, we were at the trailhead and Graham looked at me and he said, is he going to call? I said, no, I don't think so. He's, he's, I could tell that, that he was inebriated. He might even have taken some drugs. And, mm -hmm. and that's when they start lying to you. I wasn't 100% sure. Now, your listeners are listening to this and I'm going to ask everybody the same question. Ask everybody the same question when I tell this story. Does anybody know how to make a, a, an international 911 call? Because well, I don't. I don't. I was faced with that problem. If I call 911 here and say, hey, patch me through to Scotland. Yeah. Well, where in Scotland does he live? Well, chances are he might've lived in the small town where my parents grew up, my father grew up, but I don't know for sure. Those are questions that 911 people make them crazy. Now you're searching for a needle in a haystack, right? 
And so, you know, Graham's looking at me. So what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know what. And so I said, give me my stuff. I got all ready to go. I said, I do my best thinking when I'm walking, but there's got to be a solution to this. And he's going, well, you got to let me know. And I said, I will. I'll call you later, but you go and I'm going to start walking. And I got maybe about 500 meters down the road. And I was, I was absolutely struggling because there was somebody's life on the line here. And I didn't know, I didn't know if I could help him. And, and now you're left on pins and needles. Did I do enough? Did I say enough? Did he actually reach out or didn't he reach out? And, and I remembered that his, his dad had called uh, me to get a hold of my dad six years ago. And he'd done it the same way on Facebook Messenger. And so I sat down and I took my cell phone out and I, and I, I searched his name in my messenger contacts. And oddly enough, it came up three times, Mary, because he's got, three, you know, he's an older guy. And he's like me, and you, and you create a profile, and then you create another profile. And every time you log on, you create a new profile. And I'm thinking, okay, so which one of the three is he? <laughs> and, and we talk about divine intervention or things happening in that moment, right? Yeah. There was a green dot. And the green dot means I'm online. Well, I don't care which one you are. The green dot's online. So I hit the video and called him. And he looked at me, he answered, and he went, Neil. What are you doing? We're watching you walk on Facebook. Why are you calling me? And I said, don't talk about me. Your son is in trouble. He's contemplating ending his life now. And he says, oh, I know he's got this going on. And I said, don't, no, 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 no. Let's not talk about it. Pick up the phone and get somebody to him right now and call me back later so I know you're okay. And that was the end of the call. It took, it took less than a minute. And then I, I remember sitting down and thinking, that's the best I can do. That's international. Facebook connected the three of us. And, and that's the best I can do. And, and so I started walking. I text Graham and I said, I, I got a hold of his dad through Messenger and hopefully somebody's on the way. And it was about three, maybe four hours later, which made it really uh, late at night there. It was still early morning here. It was like 11 in the morning here. And they're about, what, five, six hours ahead of us over there. So anyway, I got, I got a text message, a messenger text from his dad, thanking me for what I did and that his sister and the ambulance got there in time. That's amazing. Oh, that's, you know, when I look at that, that young woman that, that, uh, that got to a crisis shelter, and when I look at this young man, and again, he was somebody in his mid-20s. Um, they got the help they needed. And, and that's, that, would, to me, was the best use of Facebook and Messenger I, I've ever seen. But those two things alone, Mary, were worth the walk. I could, I could not have raised a penny and not met another soul. And that 531 kilometers would have been the best thing I ever did in my life. But like you say, we raised you know, almost $27,000 so far. Steps to Stop the Silence is a Facebook page you can go to. And, and I might go and post the link again so it's up in the front because you have to dig down yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, but you can go to the CodyShepherdProject.com and you can donate there. But most of all, if, if you live in your own community, there are local mental health services. Here's the big problem. And this is a big takeaway for everybody. And Mary, you'll appreciate this because you had your caregivers group. And I know what you went through with Joe and, and the struggles that you had. The medical system in this country, in this province in particular, is, is, is unfair. When it comes to physical health, if I broke my leg, 
I could get it cast and fixed and I would be fine. But Mm -hmm. if I'm planning on hurting myself and I have bad thoughts in my head and I'm struggling mentally, people run, they scatter like rats off a, off a sinking ship. We can't do that anymore. But the way it's funded is it's funded differently. (laughs) The, 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 the medical system is funded by the province, but on large, there's money put into it. Yes. I'm not, I'm not, discounting what the federal government, provincial governments put into mental health. They, they're, they're doing what they can, but it's an unbalanced system. And we are relying on treatments and people getting help. We are relying on philanthropy. And that's not right. Uh, it's a system we're in, and I will continue to raise money and help people as much as I possibly can and direct those funds to where they get the most use. But we got to put pressure on the government to fund this properly. This should this we shouldn't be funding mental health with philanthropy. It it should be funded through the through the tax dollars. There's other areas they can cut without affecting the the actual medical system we have now. We need to fund both of these yeah. because this is a hidden pandemic here. Yeah. But the money I've raised have gone to where the boots are on the ground. I'm so thankful the Cody Shepherd project that we took our time and we vetted the organizations that we gave the money to. And so that was a bit of a delay. And I think, you know, we might not have got the money to them till January 1st. So a lot of the tax receipts may not come until next year, but this was never about a tax receipt. Yeah. This was about getting help. So we have a local hub in center Wellington where the youth can gather and talk to people and the big brothers, big sisters are a big part of that. So they got some money. There's a counseling system that does PTSD counseling so that our first responders and anybody who's been through something tragic and are suffering from it can get help for their PTSD. But most of all, the Integrated Youth Services Network is setting up in in my town and in Wellington County. They're all over Wellington County and they get it. They're setting up a mental health system where you can be anywhere in, in, in Wellington County. And let's say you have a cutting problem or you have an eating disorder and you go in and see one of their counselors. And then for whatever reason, because, you know, these are volatile times, mom and dad move yeah. and you go to a different part of the county. Now you can walk into an integrated health network there and they have your file. Yeah. They understand what you've been done, what's been done. See, right now with mental health, if you go in and you get treatment and you come out and you fall back again, you have to start over again. It, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. If my knee were to, if my metal knee were to pop, I would call the surgeon that put it on and, and his staff would put me in line the next to see him. He did the knee. He wants to see me. If I have cancer and I, I come out of remission, I call the, the cancer doctor and I get to go right back in, but not with your mental health, go to the back of the line, start again. That's got to stop. Yeah. Well, these are the kinds of campaigns that are going to make a difference because not only are you raising the funds to implement the resources, but you're also talking about the issue. It's awareness. We're not aware. We're uneducated. And that's got to stop because we don't know enough to help. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you've done in raising money and having the resources there is excellent. Taking the time to come here and to share that and what you know about that, that enlightenment, that uh, that educational component should ripple out. And I would challenge everyone that's listening, listen to the first one for sure, listen to this one, but to share it. I'm not looking for a bump in numbers. I'm looking for a, a ripple effect, the reflection in the ripple that you talked about, Neil, that people need to share this message and get out there because 
it's up to all of us to make a difference. This is our community. And we Just are keep not the conversation. one. Yeah. Keep the conversation going. I always say this, Mary, when I'm talking to people is that was 531 kilometers, 795,184 steps. So I took the first 795,184 steps. The next steps we as a community have to take together. Yeah. And, and the next step is if you know somebody who's struggling, pick up the phone and make that connection and, and talk to them. If, it, if they're in your mind, connect with the phone, connect with Facebook, connect somehow and say, hey, how you doing? And, mm-hmm. and start there. And, and we don't do that because we don't know what to say. We're worried about what, what to do if they are in crisis. If they are in crisis, it's not your job to fix it. The next step after that is to give them the phone numbers of the local crisis line for help. Mm-hmm. And if they ever seem that to you that they're suicidal, please don't be afraid to ask them. Don't ask them if they're planning on hurting themselves because suicide is hurting themselves. They view suicide as helping. They view suicide as taking away the pain. Well, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So if if you ask the question, are you thinking about suicide? They'll answer honest. And if they say yes, you say, listen, let's get you some help. Keep them on the line, text 911 or whoever, and get them the help they need. That's all we have to do. And we can turn the tide on these numbers that we're seeing all across the country. We, we can lower them. But those are the next steps. And we have to do that together. I can't do that by myself. Everybody's responsible for somebody in their life. You did give us... You did, you did equip us today with the statement, which I really thought was very valuable in that it is a permanent solution for a temporary situation. And if Absolutely. that's all that we managed to say, it gives us another step or another, another yeah. way to stop, you know, just to get the time to get the help. So and, and- Neil, it's not an area I have dealt with. It's not something I'm, uh, I know much about. And that's my shame on me and and thank you um i will endeavor to be much more conscientious much more aware and look for ways that maybe i can do some small part to be be moving everything forward in some way i think we can all do that so thank you for all that you did uh again would you tell us again how people can donate and where where to go just one more time they can go to my Facebook page, which is called Steps to Stop the Silence. It's an open page. Um, I, I will put the link back up fresh today so that it's it's there near the top. Uh, I'm not Facebook savvy, Mary. I don't know how to make it stand out prominently. Hopefully somebody can help me with that. Um, or they can go to the Cody Shepherd Project. And Cody is C-O-D-Y and Shepherd is S-H-E-P-P-E-R-D project.com. And they can donate there. Or if you want to do something local in your area, there are local CMHAs, Canadian Mental Health Associations. There's also local groups that are looking for money to help because they need it. Right now, we're funding this whole program by philanthropy. And if if I have to do whatever I have to do to raise that money, I'll keep doing it. But we really, really need people to talk to each other. Remember what we said in the middle of this, your words matter. You can lift them up or you can push them down. And when you lift them up and they tell you, you know what, I need help then just use Google and search it. Crisis line in this area, there it is. Help them out. More so than the money is the connection to reach out and reflect in somebody's life and and get them the help they need. Good words to end on there. Thank you again, Neil, for the last episode and this episode. Thank you for being willing to listen to 
whatever the drive with Peter, the conversation to be where you were when it was important. And a big thank you to those people who were there for you when you yes, needed. big shout out to all my friends for what they yes, did. Yes, and you've named them well. We know we know a lot of them. And the my I guess my challenge to others would be be that someone for someone else, because we all need to help each other. So thank you again, Neil. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, you know, share this episode, share Neil's story, so that more people will have an understanding of how to help. So thanks again, Neil. Again, Mary, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I've gone forever. It's you are an inspiration, Neil. You deserve that award for what you've done because it gives that that one more layer of the inspiration. That it's the recognition that you have been selfless in your serving. You're a great Rotarian. You're a great humanitarian. I'm honored to know you, and thank you. Well, Mary, the feeling is mutual. I am honored to know you, and and uh, I hope your listeners hear this and they and they they just reconnect with somebody in their life and help them because that's what we need. That's true. So again, this has been Don't Die Before You're Dead. I'm your host, Mary McCartney, and I dare you to go out and live the life you're meant to live because you are important and go out there and help others. So till the next time, take care. Bye now.